What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. the Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, on this exciting Thursday night of football. With that, Marcus underscore Mosher. I kept it short, so you don't have to do any editing. How are you, sir? I'm fired up, man. Just another awesome Thursday night football game that I cannot wait to break down. <laughs> Look. I understand it was an exciting game, but uh, we're here, you know, we're here to talk football. We are close. reliable. We are reliable. We're here every Thursday night. Uh, <laughs> you know who's not reliable? The Bears wide yeah, receivers. Exactly. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty ugly. The drop on the previous drive. So if you didn't catch the game tonight, the Bears had a – Bobble and a catch. The, uh, at the end of the game, they were down 12-7. to 7. They were driving. Uh, Justin Fields threw it to, to Mooney in the end zone. He went up for it and bobbled it. It wasn't an easy catch. It wasn't no. ridiculously a hard catch either. It was a contested catch that he went up for, and he had it for a second. It would have been an easy touchdown. But then when he had to reacquire the ball, when he bobbled it, he caught it about a foot inside of the pylon on the field side so that he was no longer breaking the plane. Not only that, I think it was incomplete anyway, because it looked like to me his left arm came down out of bounds before he had secured it. Had he made a clean catch on the first effort, the Bears would have probably won the game because Washington would have only had 30 seconds left. And if you've watched Washington Commanders offense, that means the game is pretty yep. much over. I have a lot to say about the Commanders, but uh Yeah. But the drive before that, pretty bad drop on third down over the middle. Or was it fourth down? I think it was fourth down, right? Oh, right. Yes, fourth down. Yeah. By uh, Smith-Marset. Because I don't know if he would have got the first down, but he would have been pretty close. Um, All right. When when am I allowed to tee off on this Bears team? (laughs) I already know where you're going. Well, I, do. Right. I knew you were going to come here. Let, let, let's let's start with this. I, I want to be very clear. I do not have a problem at all with teams hiring a defensive-minded head coach. And as you get up from your chair, you're just you're just going. Uh, I, I think it can work. Um, if you have a veteran quarterback like a Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, and you you pair him with a Todd Bowles, I think that works. Or if you have a already established you know, quarterback in an established offense, if you pair him with a, a you know, a really smart defensive-minded guy, I think that works as well. What I'm not a fan of, Elliot, is pairing a young quarterback, in the case of Justin Fields, a second-year quarterback with a defensive-minded coach who's never been a head coach before and pairing him with an offensive coordinator who has never been an offensive coordinator before and who has never called plays before, it's just a recipe for disaster. And what you typically get is these defensive-minded head coaches. They get so conservative. They try to run the bleep out of the ball, right? And then when it's time to open up open up the passing attack, they can't because they never try to work on that kind of stuff. It, it, I think Rex Ryan is the perfect example with Mark Sanchez, right? I think he almost ruined Mark Sanchez by letting him – making him too conservative. And I think we're trending in a direction, even though Justin Fields wasn't great tonight, or he's going to be ruined because of an incompetent coaching staff. Well, we saw his running ability, and and I thought Kirk Herbstreit did a good job. Well, <laughs> Kirk Herbstreit said that 
Washington, uh, you know, when they cover everyone downfield, it's not good. And I'm like, well, it is. But what he was, I, I got what he was trying yeah. to say is it meant everyone's back has basically turned to Justin Fields and he can right. take off and run. Which goes to your point that if you run more verts and you and you spread it out a little bit more and you run defensive backs down the field, now you're opening things up for Justin Fields. Uh, was it McCain? Terrible, terrible angle by the yeah. safety on that play Bobby to McCain. let Justin yep. Fields to go all the way down to the six yard line. That should have only been about a seven yard gain. Um, I'm with you on this now. To pull the curtains back, Marcus and I argued on the phone about if the Cowboys should be doing this uh, and Marcus thinks the Cowboys should be opening it way up when Dak Prescott comes back. And I told him, no, they shouldn't because they have a very special, special defense and playing conservative makes sense. I totally agree with you on this one because the, because the bears defense isn't special. So running the ball in kind of stunting your quarterback's development might get you an extra win, but it's not going to do anything for your franchise's development. Yeah, you don't have all a championship-level defense. Here. And all you're doing is making him gun-shy. If he's only allowed to throw the ball 18 times a game. Um, and, and the other thing is I, the the offense looks so boring, right? Like you watch some of the routes. It's everybody runs and turns around, right? There's no crossing routes. There's no stack formations to get guys free releases and wide opens. There, There's no layup throws for Justin Fields to get into a rhythm at all. I, listen, you and I talked about the Matt Eberflus hiring when we happened. We we agreed that the Chicago Bears have a style of football that's been really successful for them. And I think they wanted to kind of stay with that, you know, defensive-minded style. The problem is when you've got a young quarterback, you need to actually develop him and put players around him to develop and the Bears have completely failed that way. Well, I think maybe more important was the second part of your point a minute ago, which is having an offensive coordinator that's never called plays before. I think you can have a head coach that comes from the defensive side of the ball, providing that you have uh, an offensive support system around that quarterback Yes, that's free to do what it needs to do. So I do think that can work. Uh, now, maybe, maybe what – the Bears should have done is pair Eberflus, a first-year head coach, with an established, older offensive coordinator that's really not looking to become a head coach, right? That's one way. I mean, or you get lucky with who you can have on your staff. I mean, look at the jersey behind you right now. Tony Romo, he had Bill Parcells, who was a total defensive-minded head coach. However, Parcells was willing to open it up when he needed to open up, and he relied on his offensive staff, and Romo had a good staff uh, there to develop his game, uh, starting with Sean Payton, mm -hmm. right? Uh, now, Sean Payton was gone the year that Romo actually became a starter. Payton was already in New Orleans. But he had Todd Haley there and some other guys. They had Tony Sperano uh, there. So um, I, I definitely get your point here. Um, I had a few questions for you sure. that I thought would be fun. <clears throat> Give me your chances. What are your odds for Brian Robinson coming from out of nowhere to win offensive rookie of the year. What are your odds? Mm, like 20 to one, 20 to one. Yeah. He looked pretty good tonight, man. He did look really good. And you see, so he won that starting running back job out of training camp and into the preseason. It's a shame what happened to him because I think 
he was going to get a ton of work early in the season. And basically Antonio Gibson is just no longer a factor there. You have to win a game tomorrow. This question comes from uh, my buddy Sudsy. You got to win a game tomorrow. We'll just say decent offensive line, decent running backs, decent wide receivers, you know, nothing special. You get Justin Fields or Carson Wentz to win a game tomorrow. Who are you taking? Uh, Justin Fields. The only touchdown drive that Carson Wentz had in this game was when the Bears fumbled a punt inside their five-yard line. Yes, you were on the phone with me telling me how bad this game sucked. I mean, at least – I mean, the the Bears were in the red zone three times in this game, right? They didn't score on any of their trips, but at least they were moving the ball some. I – it seems like every game Carson Wentz is regressing more and more. This leads me to my next question. How much money is Amazon offering the Saints and Cardinals to let up on defense next week? <laughs> I saw somebody today on Twitter said that Amazon should just give Lamar Jackson $500 million to be like the permanent Thursday night quarterback. On the all-time quarterback. All-time that'd, be quarterback so, on Thursday. that'd be so <laughs> great. So great. Okay. You get one of the two. The Bears orange helmets or the black helmets the Cardinals wore against the Eagles? Oh, see, I like the orange helmets quite a bit. I mean, I, I didn't like the black uniforms. I do or the black helmets. I do like the Cardinals black uniforms that they sometimes will wear, uh, but not a fan of the black helmets. Uh, my buddy Paul Natonic, uh, big Bears fan, he thought they needed like the navy pants to offset the orange helmet, but uh, – I kind of like when the Bears do their old 1920s, 30s look uh, where they look like Michigan, essentially. <laughs> yes, I uh, agree. With orange. I like that look. I, I, um, I agree. I, th- they have some great throwback uniforms. I just wish they would use them more. How many years do you give Justin Fields? Two more. Two more after this one. I, or this year and next I year. I would give them this year and next year. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. How many more games do you give Carson Wentz? None. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to move on to Sam Howell or Taylor Heineke because it's just – I mean, I know they won this game, but they won it in the ugliest fashion. He can't move anymore. Like, did you see the one play that Washington tried to run like a uh, – it was like a read option in the goal line, and Carson Wentz looked slower than Eli Manning ever in his career? I, they're not throwing the ball down the field anymore. He's afraid to stand in the pocket. When you get a quarterback that just doesn't want, doesn't even want to try to throw the ball down the field, it's over. How are you liking these questions so far? I love them. These are great. I love it. More rapid fire questions, please. This is an important one. Our podcast. Should we start every podcast with, you know, maybe our one word, you know, like resilience, adversity, and tweet it out? Or, yeah. Should we just, would you rather me, instead of saying, you know, welcoming you in, should I just say, Power Rankings Podcast, let's ride? I think that's the way we just need to end it, right? Like, <laughs> as you're signing off, at hey, I'm at Harrison NFL, Power Rankings Show, let's ride. Best first year head coach performance, which I think this is an easy answer, worst so far. Oh, I don't think it's easy, because I think there's two two coaches right it's it's between mike mcdaniel and brian dable i'll go dable just because i don't think anybody was expecting the giants to be four and one but i think dolphins and the giants have to be thrilled yeah it's stable for me now i think worst is a little bit harder 
Nathaniel Hackett. Still Nathaniel Hackett yeah, for you? Yeah, I mean, that team, I, I don't like what Matt Eberflus has done so far with the Bears. But, I mean, what are they, two and four now? And they've been competitive in every game. They just don't have a talent that Denver has, right? Denver has a better defense, a better offensive line, better weapons. And you're really struggling to score points with an established quarterback in Russell Wilson. I think I think Nate Hackett's been way worse. Last question. Which topic would you rather <laughs> talk about the least? Of Daniel least. Snyder or Deshaun Watson? Pass. Okay, we'll just pick one. Uh, let's let's do we'll, Dan we'll Snyder. We'll talk about Dan Snyder. Yeah. All right, real quick. This is just so if you guys didn't see, it was what Seth Wickersham and a couple other folks. Mm-hmm. Was it Nada? I'm trying to think who wrote the article today uh, for ESPN. Lengthy article about Dan Snyder threatening to have dirt on owners and on Roger Goodell. He's worried that he's going to be voted out. If you're curious. Owners can get rid of another owner. It takes 24 out of 32 votes, essentially 75% to uh, oust an owner. Unfortunately, though, in that article were a bunch of things that were buried that that were really important, uh, not buried, but, you know, you might have missed. One of them being that one of the owners interviewed anonymously in the story said, yeah, if Dan Snyder gets a new stadium for Washington, all of this will be forgotten, which is really sad. Which is really sad. It's like, hey, as long as he gets a new stadium and it generates money for all of us, all this other stuff will be. Now, maybe that owner was just being a realist and saying, look, I know how some of my compatriots are going to handle this thing. Um, I just want your general thought about any of this. And then I'm just going to I'm going to give my one minute. Uh, I mean, Everything that I read from the story today, nothing shocked me, nothing surprised me. And I felt like it was a lot of the same kind of stuff that we've been hearing. I think the NFL would love Dan Snyder to sell the team. I think they are nervous about what kind of skeletons he can reveal to everybody else, right? Some shady stuff that's happened behind the scenes. But I think they're just waiting it out. And I think Dan Snyder will eventually have to sell the team but it just it's not going to be when people want it to happen yeah i mean now people are right for also for being upset with roger goodell like that that you know pretty much nothing got out of beth wilkinson's report and people want to know and um or some people want to know but this is all i have to say the commanders are terrible they won tonight they're a bad football team their organization Their stadium is terrible. Uh, Half their fans are fans of the other team. Go watch an Eagles game at Washington. Well, just just to prove your point more, uh, Brian Robinson was doing the post-game show uh, with – uh, with Amazon, and they're shouting – the the commander fans are shouting, sell the team, while Brian Robinson is doing the interview. Right. Right. And, and it's, it's is, terrible. I feel awful for somebody like Brian Robinson that he has to hear that after they just played a great game. Right, right. Um, not only the commander's awful, but this is an organization that if you are my age or older, Washington used to be one of the prides of the NFL. We're talking a top three franchise here. Big time. They won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, from 1981 to 1992, Joe Gibbs' 12-year run, they were in the playoffs almost every year. They went to four Super Bowls during that time. They also went to NFC Championship game one of those years and lost. Uh, they were in the playoffs every year from 1971 to 1977, save like one year. Um, this is a team that has a lot of pride, an organization, I mean, that has a lot of pride and a fan base that used to be, it used to be you could not get a Washington ticket. Mm-hmm. There was like a 20-year waiting list to get a ticket at RFK. Uh, I'm going to mention Sudsy again. He's a big Eagles fan. He likes to go to the Eagles games at Washington. And he told me, he's this Eagles fan. He's like, it's so sad. You remember what this used to be? Yeah. When you watched a game at RFK and you were really wondering, like, is our, is my team going to get beat 30 to 7? And you would be so mad because they'd play a song every time, Hail to the Redskins, that they scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. All of that is gone. This one man has just destroyed an entire legacy of an organization. And if you don't like Daniel Snyder and you don't approve of what he's done, don't watch Washington Commanders football. Just don't watch. If you're a uh, uh, pick a team, Marcus, any team, Vikings, Vikings. I don't know, was Vikings. Do the Vikings even play the Commanders this year? I think they do because I think the NFC East plays the NFC they North. Do. They do. Okay. So you're a Vikings fan. You have to watch the Commanders this year because your team plays them. Listen to it on the radio. There's probably a couple games a year you listen to the radio anyway because you go to church or you take your kids to Six Flags. Or if you're like Marcus, you go to the Amish market and get the giant cinnamon rolls. Listen to it on the radio because guess what? If all of y'all don't watch Commanders games, and a lot of you guys that are out there watching Commanders games, you're only watching them because there's just a game on. Just don't do it. Just watch a different game or whatever. Believe me, once they see the ratings of Washington games are so low, the owners are going to want to get rid of him so fast because it costs them all money. I get it. The TV contracts are prepaid. But when they yep. see what the ratings are for Commanders games, um, that's that's my suggestion. You know, And if you are a Commanders fan, I know that's really hard to do. Uh, I guess you know, watch your team if you, if you have to. But if you listen to them on the radio um, – do it better. That's my take. And don't buy any hoodies. That, that's what I was to say. Don't, caps. Yeah, don't don't yeah. buy the t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But it's sad, man. It, it's really sad. So, but let's get off of Daniel Snyder here because I, I'm already depressing you again. So I have a couple of fun facts for you. Sure. So one of the things that's near and dear to Marcus's heart is franchise building, organ, organizational building. Like how how do you build a roster and a team, and what's the smartest approach? And one of the things that we always talk about, or we have talked about, we talked about it last week, is there's no real middle class in the NFL, right? There's not a lot of guys making, what, $5 million, Marcus, that eight-year vet that, you know, maybe is a 750-yard receiver Mm -hmm. for you. It's Mm -hmm. hard for those types of guys. And uh, the idea has been in recent years to, say, draft a linebacker in the fourth round have him play special teams for you or get a guy that you know can play special teams. Uh, you pay him or they have, there's a rookie wage scale. Mm-hmm. And then when his contract comes up, you make a decision on it. And that's better than having say a five or seven year vet who may or may not play special teams. And you've got to pay him three and a half, four and a half million a year. Mm-hmm. Any, any, am, am I, am I on the no, right I mean, here? I mean, th- that's the truth, right? Like it's just way cheaper to draft a guy let them develop and then move on. And if you are a smart organization, I'm using air quotes here, 
You let that guy hit free agency. And the following year, you get a compensatory pick, you know, depending on the, the salary that he signs. Right. And then you just turn right around and use, use that draft pick to replace him. So, uh, yeah, there, there is no middle class. But I think, Elliot, that's why so many of these teams, like the Bears, are bad. You look at their roster, it's very either five or six guys on elite contracts and then everybody else on a rookie contract. You know how much the Bears could use, like that 750 yard receiver who's getting paid seven million dollars a year right yeah. now. Like yes. that, they're the type of team that needs that just to kind of help your young quarterback develop and improve. But they don't want to spend money on that because they want to save up to go get a blue chip player in free agency next year. I get it, but this would have been a great. Uh, we've used, we've talked about this guy before, but I think this would actually have been a good destination for a Jarvis Landry. Have a guy teach your guys what it takes to be a pro from catching the ball to uh, preparation to practicing through injuries, practicing through injuries, all those things. And I don't know what Jarvis ended up signing for for the Saints, but it wasn't much. I think Um, it was I maxed out at six million. Yeah. So which is right in that range that we're we're talking about here. So I wanted to ask you based on I did a very Marcus Mosher-esque thing the other night, but. Is there a point where a roster can be too young for yes. you? Yes, yes. Uh, I think you see that a lot of times. Everybody, the, the goal is to try to get as young as possible and to, to keep building through draft picks. But no, you need the three or four veterans that have been around that can tell you how practice is supposed to go and tell you, okay, when you're playing on a short week, this is what you need to do to get your body right. And those guys don't have to be huge contributors are your best players, but you do need those five to six guys on your team that can kind of help these young players grow. So I've been doing something um, pretty nerdy. <laughs> I've, when I was a little kid, the, the Cowboys, you know, they, they stunk and a lot of their home games were blacked out and I didn't get to see them. And so some of those games are floating out there. And so I watched a game from 1984 that was blacked out. It was the Indianapolis Colts. It was their first year in Indianapolis at Dallas. And so I'm watching a condensed version, a Mm -hmm. 30-minute version, which is near and dear to Marcus's heart. Almost all football Marcus watches are condensed games. So I'm watching a condensed Cowboys-Colts game from 1984. But they showed a little bit of the intro. And Bob Trumpy, who is the color analyst, just gave this little nugget and said, you know, the Colts are actually the the most inexperienced team in the league. And I thought he was just going to say something nebulous. And then he says, their average NFL experience is 1.9 years. Jeez. It's like, do you know how hard that is to do? Yeah, that how never, many- I mean, that, that, that would never happen in today's NFL because you, you just can't accumulate that many draft picks, right? How many undrafted? Well, back then they had 12 rounds yep. for one. Uh, they went to seven rounds, and I want to say in around like 90, somewhere in the 90s, they went to seven rounds, I think. But, uh, I mean, dude, you you basically have no 10-year veterans, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way you could have like a Demarcus Lawrence who's a nine-year vet because that's going to uh, up it so too much. Anyway, the Colts literally had nothing but kids, and they're trying to develop a couple of young quarterbacks. So they got multiple young quarterbacks. They actually had three young quarterbacks, one of whom went to prison for gambling, Arch Sleister. And mm-hmm. then the other two, they they tried to develop. 
And so I'm sitting there doing the math. How many undrafted free agents would you have to have on your team to have an average NFL experience of 1.9 years? And do you think that would be a good way to build a young nucleus? No. No. Uh, Do you know the youngest team to ever, like by by average age, to win a Super Bowl? I think it's the 92 Cowboys. It was. They are number two, actually. Wow. If it's not them... Um, hold on. Don't, don't say, don't you, don't, don't do it. I, I will say this, this offense did not have a single player starting in bench over the age of 28 and their defense had, uh, not a single starter over the age of 29. Well, um, I'm going to go with, uh, I don't think this is right. I thought it'd be the 2019 chiefs, but. I that's not right because uh, I think they, Kelsey was over that. Yeah, they had a couple guys, especially in defense, that were a little bit older than that. The 2014 okay. Seahawks. Yeah, I was going back down. It's got to be the Seahawks. But we should remember with that team because they I mean they're incredibly young. They did have some veterans that had been around, like Michael Bennett was 29 yes. at the time. They yes. signed Cliff Averill right in free agency, and Cliff Averill, uh, I'm looking at it now, he was 28. They had some players who had had some success elsewhere and were able to come in. Even Percy Harvin was 26 and played for a while. Like That could tell players how it's supposed to be done. I, I, I think that matters. It absolutely matters. And let me tell you, it did not work out for that Colts team. They were awful in 84. They were bad in 85. And they were really bad in 86. They finally made the playoffs in 1987, but uh, that's because they went and got Eric Dickerson in a trade. Uh, it was a different era back then, but I, I thought that was kind of a fun fact. I was like, boy, I, I think that would even surprise you. Now I wonder, like, what what is the average age where you're too old to make a run? Because I'm starting to wonder about that with Tampa Bay. I mean, obviously Tom mm-hmm. Brady's age skews everything for, for you know quite a bit because he's 85 years old. But even if you just remove him, like that team – it's pretty old. You're right. Like Mike Evans was drafted in 2014. Uh, Julio Jones was drafted in what? 2011. Uh, Kyle Rudolph is one of their tight ends and he's old. Cam Bright, like with the NFL season being longer than ever and with Tampa Bay, not likely to be the number one seed. Can you really afford to be that old on offense? Yeah, no. By the way, you would have been just absolutely appalled at the fourth down decision-making in this game, choosing not to go for it on fourth and one to settle for a 34-yard punt <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> hey, football was better back in the 80s, man. That's what you always tell me. Not this game. Uh, okay, I got one other fun fact, which is coincidentally from 1984 for you. But this relates to Defensive Player of the Year front runner Micah Parsons and somebody mm. that Marcus um, covers extensively for Locked on Cowboys. Uh, podcast so another game so the it's a weird memory I had but this game that I watched Colts Cowboys I knew I was at my grandpa's I couldn't watch it and so I watched a Giants Washington game instead and that game was on YouTube so I was like you know what I remember having to watch this game instead of that one so I just put it on and I watched a little bit of the fourth quarter the Giants blew out Washington Bill Parcells 1984 by the way is when 
the Giants turned it around from being lousy, and Bill Parcells kind of launched his legend. Bill Belichick is a 32-year-old defensive assistant at this yep. time. I saw him hugging Jim Burt. Jim Burt was like twice the size of little Bill Belichick. It was great. Bill Belichick had a sweet like red Giants satin like starter mm-hmm. jacket. Oh, my gosh. Those, do you like those jackets? I do. And all those, I those, do. Oh, they're so dope. But at the end of the game, they show a graphic. And it's Lawrence Taylor. And it showed uh, the Washington's pass attempts and then how many times Taylor actually got to blitz from his outside linebacker spot. Rush the passer. Back mm-hmm. then, they just called it blitz. Nine times. Yep. The whole game. Yep. And so when we talk about Micah Parsons, how many sacks he's going to rack up, and and is he better than Lawrence Taylor, uh, Micah Parsons is phenomenal, and and this is not a disrespect to him. I just thought it was remarkable that a guy could average over double-digit sacks as an outside backer and get nine chances to rush the passer a game. That's remarkable. It, it is. Um, this actually reminds me, so I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine today. I, I, I know this is a little bit off the path, but we'll you'll, you'll see right. why. Um, about who has been the best pass rushers over the last decade, right? If you could take this one player from one year, how does that stack up with like 2022 Micah Parsons and 2015 mm-hmm. Von Miller? Um, is there any like one year from like a player that maybe is a little bit random that you could say like that guy was an elite, elite pass rusher for that one year? Absolutely. The one that's the most forgotten. I don't think the average fan, I don't think the diehard fan. I, I hope we have the same name here because I, you go ahead. I, I, I were probably not going to have the same name, but I don't even think the diehard fan is aware that Justin Houston racked up 22 sacks for the 2011 Chiefs. That was the he name was, I had. Oh, my gosh. And when they had him and Tom Ali both going, man, oh, man, it covers a lot of ills, doesn't it, in your secondary with everything. That was the first one I had, kind of like, hey, if I can have this one year of Justin Houston, it's just as good as Pete Khalil Mack or Pete TJ Watt or whatever. The other one is just pick a year, the first or second year of Alden Smith with the 49ers. As a rookie, oh, yeah. he didn't start, but his first two years of his career, he had like 34 and a half sacks. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. He was a situational pass rusher. They played they played a pretty classic actually three four yeah. his first year. They he just didn't start. Remember, yeah, the strong side end was Ray McDonald, mm-hmm. um, right? Then it was Justin Smith. Uh, excuse me, strong side end was Justin Smith. They Ray McDonald on the other side. Was it Sokolaga? Who was yep, the Isaac Sokolaga? Was uh, was their nose tackle? Yep. They had a second year. Navarro Bowman at inside backer. They had Patrick Willis, who was the best inside backer in football mm-hmm. at that point. Ahmad Brooks, right, yep. was one outside backer. Was it Paris Paris Harrelson that started was, over yes. Alvin Smith? Yes. Yeah. Man, oh, man. And they had so that, Whitner. That, yeah, and, that's uh, the one, like, man, I, I wish we could kind of go back and rewatch like, him oh as a rookie because he was so good. Oh, and that defense. I bet that it was Whitner and, um, oh, come on. Was who, it, who was the other safety? Not Goldston, was it? Um, no, no, no. Um, oh, my gosh. It's going to drive me nuts. Tremaine Brock was one corner. 
all their other safety was really good. And I'm t- totally spacing. This is going to drive me crazy. You're going to have to look it up. You have to do it. All right. 2011 right. 49ers. We have to know. Dante Whitner. Uh, Dante Whitner. Okay. Uh, wait, isn't that what I just said? Oh, yeah. Deshaun Goldston. Like I said. Deshaun Goldston. You were right. You're right. It's Tremaine Brock, and I can't remember the other corner. Um, but I- I'll tell you this, man. And that the corners were the weakness of that team, but they're Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers. Yeah. But just going back to Taylor for a moment. Okay. So 1984. So he gets nine, nine pass rushes against Washington. Washington's down in this game, 37 to 13. Okay. So they were throwing a lot and he gets nine pass rushes. The guy finished with 11 and a half sacks that year. Let's just say you get, 10 pass rushes a year. I mean, a game for 16 games, that's 160 rushes. If you're getting 11 and a half sacks on only 160 rushes, just to give you an idea. Now there are pass rushers in football right now, Marcus, that get what, maybe 28 pass rushes. In oh, a game? Some, some get even more than that. Yep. Yeah. That's literally three times what Taylor got. If Taylor got to rush the quarterback every play or in his early career, he could have been a 25 sack guy. I'm I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought that that was absolutely remarkable. But uh, maybe that's, is that too deep dive nerdy stuff? No, was that 83 or 84? 84. 83, Taylor had to play inside linebacker part of the year because Harry Carson got hurt against Dallas. And uh, LT actually made SI's all pro team as an inside and an outside linebacker. Yep. Yeah. Um, why, why were you asking if it was 83? Oh, because I was just looking at the numbers. I wanted to see like how many dropbacks um, the Giants' opponents had in 1984, and it was like 35, which is actually higher than I thought. Uh, 30, 350, you mean? Or no, no, like per game. Sorry, a game. Thir- thir- yeah, 35 okay. dropbacks per game. Uh, Matty, you were flu six. That's way too aggressive. But yeah, I, it's just <laughs> it's more than I thought. Well, if you like just kind of random stats that is that's never talked about, uh, years ago I was asked to do kind of like a, the greatest rookie seasons of all time, and I did a different one every day. And my favorite one was a guy named Al Bubba Baker. He played for the Detroit Lions uh, in the seventies, late seventies, and then he played for the Cardinals and Browns uh, in the eighties. Al Bubba Baker, his rookie year had 23 sacks that led the NFLs in 16 games, 23 sacks. Now that would be the record right now, but it was unofficial. The lions opposing quarterbacks only had 350 pass attempts. So he had 23, (laughs) he had one sack for literally what, what is that? Like one out of every 16 or 17 pass attempts that the lions uh, opponents had. I said that very clumsily, but you you get the point. I mean, I now now a typical team would have, would you say, well, in a seventeen game season, about six hundred pass attempts. Yeah, yeah, and some have even more than some that. have way more than that, but just six hundred as an yep. average. Yep. Okay, that is almost twice as much. That means Al Bubba Baker probably would have had about forty sacks, maybe thirty eight. <laughs> That's insane. It's insane. So there you go. Those are your two fun facts. There you go. To be uh, honest with you, though, the Colts ones shocked me more. Yeah, that one. I, I was trying to do can, the math. In you my could head. never replicate that in today's NFL, right? No, uh, not at all. 
So uh, next week, we've got a little bit better game. Uh, obviously, we'll do the picks and talk about that game on next Wednesday. If you missed our picks this week, we did them yesterday. Marcus and I actually differed on a lot of games, including this one. I picked Washington. I feel no glee uh, that Washington won because they were terrible. Did I pick the Bears? Um, you did. You picked the Bears. Uh, we differed on a lot, though, this I week. I know even least. more mad at Matt Eberflus for that game then. <laughs> So uh, there you go. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give you either the last word or pull a football card. No, I, gotta I, I've got a, a, I got a, a pressing note. non-football question for you okay. before we yeah. head out. Sounds good. So on Twitter today, I always like to tell you what's going on on Twitter because you're never on Twitter. You're, you're basically you just have an account over there. But uh, there was this pressing debate about frozen pizza. Now I don't know if you're a frozen pizza guy or not, or if you have a favorite brand of frozen pizza. But you need to explain this to me because I am not a frozen pizza guy at all. Frozen pizza is so expensive now. It doesn't taste good. And you can just go to, I know it's not great, but you can go to your local Pizza Hut or Domino's or Little Caesars and get something that's at least already cooked and somewhat decent for the same price. So explain this frozen pizza phenomenon that's going around right now. Well, there was a time that people thought frozen pizza was like as good as Domino's. Now, I know Domino's really uh, changed up their kind of way they do things. Little Caesars, I think, kind of creeped some people out. Uh, wait, was it Little? What was the one that the one guy owned uh, that was? Oh, that's really, Papa John's. It's different. Papa John's. Sorry, Papa John's. Yeah, sorry. I didn't know we were doing a political podcast here. <laughs> no, I just mean he, <laughs> the whole Peyton Manning just you remember how weird that oh was? i remember it would be there yeah after is that political uh no yeah you know, okay and then uh but yeah i mean for those of us that didn't grow up with a silver spoon in our mouths like you did we had to have frozen tv dinners and frozen yeah but it's different the tv dinners are because listen i had those banquet tv dinners all the time that's different than a frozen pizza i just don't understand the appeal now because it started with somebody from Wisconsin showing like 200 different frozen pizzas that are in their grocery store. And they're like $12 for a piece of cardboard pizza. Why? I, I just don't get it. Well, here's the thing. Those of us that really had to grow up with cardboard pizza, you kind of, it developed, it's kind of like, honestly, it's a lot like frozen burritos versus why not go to Taco Bell? Because some frozen burritos were really good, man. You know, I used to have the patio burritos. They were dope. So everyone has their – now, DiGiorno is kind of considered the front runner, I think, in this sphere. Yeah, I, uh, I always wanted my mom to get Red Baron, but Red Baron was a little pricey. Yeah. So we ended up settling on either the Safeway brand, which was uh, the Carson Wentz of pizzas. Very inconsistent. <laughs> or, or we went to – consistent could deliver but not necessarily going to wow you who would that be um i don't want to say the daniel jones of uh matt ryan anyway <laughs> well not matt ryan this year but yeah so like 2019 matt ryan yeah 2019 matt ryan of frozen pieces which would be tombstone that's what we got uh, i gotta tell you though if you're looking for something different and you don't mind spending a little bit of coin, the cauliflower frozen pizzas are pretty good. But the See, problem that's such is such a California thing to say, though. but they're so small. So frozen pizzas got a little, they upped their quality a little bit, but I'm going to have to kind of agree. I sound like Lumberg. I'm going to have to kind uh, of 
disagree with you there. No, uh, I think you can get some pretty good deals now at Domino's. My bigger question to you, though, is are you a Pizza Hut guy? Do you like do you go dine in at Pizza Hut? So this is a very good question. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked. I do not like Pizza Hut takeout pizza. It's for some reason, it's just not quite as good. However, I will go to Pizza Hut and dine in. And when they bring it out, like in a cast iron, cast iron like little uh, pan. It has a whole different feel, doesn't it's it? Whole, you get the pan crust and it's nice and crispy. I, I will I will thoroughly enjoy a supreme pizza for Pizza Hut every now and then. Remember when Larry Allen gave his Hall of Fame acceptance speech and he talked about how his wife on their first date made him some chicken and they had ice cream yep. and he knew that she was the one. Yep. That's how I feel. If I'm at Pizza Hut and they bring it out in that skillet, you know, I, that's how I feel. I'm with you. It's my different. first, it's, my first yeah. uh, date with my wife, we, we we got pizza. So pizza's new. By the way, that, if, you, if you've never heard that Larry Allen acceptance yeah. speech, it's phenomenal phenomenal uh, i'm with you on the dining in did y'all have pizza in no see no. we had pizza in and i don't think pizza in made it uh, i don't know if there's still pizza ends around but uh maybe there are but um okay so of the pizza hut little caesars Domino's, if you're not worried about uh ruining our sponsorships yeah we're good which one which one are you gonna go with probably pizza papa john's hut. pizza hut i i we had a papa john's it was like 40 minutes away from us and we got it a few times but it was it was not great little caesars is convenient it's fast but it's very blah right i mean you you're only getting it because of the convenience but yeah i think i would go pizza we're, we're very lucky that we have a lot of like just local mom and pop stores uh that have fantastic pizza but yeah little caesars oh it's so a no votes for shakies then okay no shakies. all right so all right. wait I, I, hold on really quickly Red Baron is what my grandmother used to buy us like when she would have the grandkids over and was a big it was a big deal that we got Red Baron frozen pizza. But now I will say there is one frozen pizza that I do like from time to time. Uh, Good, uh, you want to guess? I'm gonna try. Hold on. It's it's not DiGiorno, it's not Tombstone. Nope. It's not Jax either. I I've I tried Jax. I, I just I don't I've see never had that. I, I I can't I, I have no idea. It's the California Pizza Kitchen pizza. Oh, yeah. You after, you after you bag on us. Yeah. <laughs> you get the, the, you get the little the margarita pizza, put a little bit of Parmesan on it. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I really need to get out, get out of here. Uh, but I just <laughs> want to say to all of you guys, I don't know if y'all caught that, but Marcus scoffed when I said you grew up in a silver spoon in your mouth. And, you know, that's Red Baron was the most expensive. And what did his grandmother get them? Red Baron. But I said it was a special treat. We didn't get it all the time at my parents' house. We got the the Tostino's pizza. You remember the Tostino's pizza? Yes. It was Totino's, yeah. Totino's, yeah. It was like 90 cents. We got Safeway Select. And if you Uh, got, you know, it just had like a couple little tomatoes on it. And the cheese, the cheese, there wasn't even adequate coverage. Like the cheese didn't cover, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, 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 there were bald spots all over our frozen pizza. All right, can we go? I, I know I, you want to make more another fun point ta- on this. I'm having more fun talking about pizza than, than Daniel Snyder. So I think the next time we have this discussion, we should like, who's the Carson Wentz of frozen pizzas? You know, who's Papa the, 
who's the Justin Fields that has a lot of potential, but they're just not doing what they need to do. You know, like my cauliflower pizza, it could be bigger. It could be bigger. They keep raining it in. I Is think that the that calamari like... of pizza? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Please. All right. We need to <laughs> cue the music. Uh, he's a host of Locked on Cowboys with Landon McCool. Give Landon a follow. And he covers the Raiders for USA Today. He is at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. I am at Harrison NFL on Twitter. And we really appreciate you guys. Like I said, picks from um, Wednesday afternoon are out. So obviously they're out because they're on Wednesday afternoon. But take a listen to those and just know that I'm 1-0 and Marcus is 0-1. And that makes us feel very good, kind of. We'll talk to you all, uh, I guess, when we do the power rankings. Take care, everybody. Enjoy your football weekend. Let's ride.